signs, I will write them. Then he adds, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us, through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is a manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It's good to have God's Word open before us again on this Lord's Day. And pray that this morning God would be glorified. He would get uh, honor for his word going forth, and that as a, as a group of people, uh, under the authority of, of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we would desire this morning to hear from him. And so I want to just put that before you all this morning, uh, pray that the Spirit will deliver exactly what we need to hear this morning through his word. I think there's some really significant things here in this passage, in these few verses that we're going to be looking at in Hebrews 10. We, uh, we covered 20, 19 to 21 last week, and we're going to pick up, and we're going to, uh, Lord willing, cover 22 through 25 this morning. Okay, that's where we'll be. So with that in mind, I'm going to ask if you would to join me in a word of prayer, and we'll jump in. God, we thank you for being uh, a faithful God. We praise you this day for being our God of hope. And with the spirit of gratitude, we bless you this morning for setting your everlasting love upon us. God, you've shown us through your word truths and principles upon which we can stand. And today as we look once again to your word, I pray that you would impress these three exhortations as we'll come across them today in the passage pray that they would renew our minds and transform our hearts. I pray, Father, that you would change us to walk as you've called us to walk in Christ Jesus. The new covenant comes to us by way of Jesus who shed his blood and he died that we might have everlasting life. And so in response to that great love, I pray that we would live the life that you've called us to live under the new covenant with Christ as our head and our authority. I pray this morning, Lord, that you would help us to see our sin rightly, to repent, to turn to you in faith, to do works befitting a repentant life. And we ask that you make your home in us. Engrave your word in us by the mighty power of the Holy Spirit and teach us what it is to truly live. We pray this morning, Lord, recognizing our need for you, our need for your word and for the ministry of your Holy Spirit. It's in the name of our great high priest that we pray these things. Amen. Well, last week, we talked about 19, 20, and 21, and we spoke of uh, there, if we were to summarize 19, 20, and 21, just in the event you were here and forgot, or you weren't here and didn't hear to begin with, uh, perhaps helpful just to give a summary. Uh, there's two words that I'd just like to summarize 19 through 21 with. We saw that Having boldness to enter the holiest was one of the foundational principles we, we spoke of. So uh, the word here is access. Okay, that's a word we can remember that by. We have access to enter into the most holy. And the other was in verse 21, having a high priest. So not only do we have access, but we have an advocate. Okay, two ways you can remember it. Pretty easy to understand and get a hold on that. So we have access into the most holy. Now, because of what Christ did by the blood of Jesus, right? 
that was one of the, the, the verses, one of the parts there we saw in verse 19. By the blood of Jesus and by the new and living way, which was consecrated for us, opened for us, inaugurated for us through Jesus Christ and his work at the cross. And the wonderful news about having a high priest over the house of God, and that high priest being Christ, is we talked about the ramifications and implications of that in regard to judgment to come. Isn't it a wonderful thing to know that the one who is going to be judging at the end is this one who presides over the house of God? This one in whom we obtain, the Bible says, righteousness. That's how we obtain righteousness, through what Christ did at the cross. And so believing and receiving, John 1, 12, in Christ... The one that we proclaim to believe in is the very one who's going to be presiding as judge on that last day. So we talked about how those were very important for us to understand just from a foundational standpoint. And if you recall last week, I did mention that it was a little difficult to stop right in the middle of a sentence. We did. We stopped right in the middle of a sentence. We're going to pick it up now on the other end. So having... Boldness to enter the holiest and having a high priest over the house of God. We kind of did a dot, dot, dot last week. And we're going to pick it up this week. So there's three things. This shouldn't be a surprise. If If you read the passage or heard it read this morning, it shouldn't be a surprise this morning, the three points to the message. Right? I think there's a lot of you that could really, truly parse this one down in terms of three points. They all begin with let us. Not let us, but let us. Let us. Let us. Let us. So if you write in your, in your Bible, you could probably just underline those. Those are going to be your, your cues to know that this is how this separates in 22 through 25. Verse 22, verse 23, and then verses 24 and 25 will be uh, together. And so as we're looking at the passage of Scripture, you know, we're looking at, we talked about the, the importance of these foundational principles for living under the new covenant. Remember, the book of Hebrews, he's been talking a lot about what it is to live under the new covenant. The old, he's talked a lot about the old, and he's talked a lot throughout Hebrews about how Christ is better in all of these different ways. And Christ is ushering in a new covenant which is better by far, surpasses by far the old covenant. In fact, it's, it's not... The new covenant is not an embellishment of the old. It's not a a, a remodeling or revamping of the old. It is new. It's new. And so what Jesus brought in in the new covenant is intended for us as we think about what the Bible says about being a new creation. We are a new creation under the umbrella or under the banner of the new covenant. So I would ask the question as we begin this morning, are you living like a new creation? If you are here this morning and you are in Christ Jesus, are you living a new creation kind of life? And this passage we're going to talk about here in these few verses are going to give us, I think, some handles on what living looks like under the new covenant. What's it consist of? What's it look like? Those are some questions I believe the text helps us answer. What does new covenant living look like? How is it that as a new creation in Christ, I'm to live? And not just me as this individual peg, this this little blip in eternity. But how is it that I'm to live as I'm connected to Christ the head and connected to the parts of the body of Christ? You see, because if all we answer and all we really see and come away with this morning is how I am to live better, that message is really no different at all from the message of the world today. Because what's the message the world wants to give to you? How you can get better. You. How many books do you see in the stores today? Self-help. You familiar with that section? That, that seems to, over the last several years, has been an expanding, growing section of books. So I want you to see this morning from the passage that, yes, I'm hoping it helps you as an individual in Christ. I hope it helps you. But I hope you also see and don't miss 
the significance of how this passage helps all of us understand God's plan for his church. What, what is his church to be doing? And how are they to be living under the new covenant? Okay, so let, let's, I think those are some important things up front for us to, to understand. And so we look at, at verse 22. Let's, let's just jump right in here. The first one, uh, how, how are we to live? Uh, drawing near, let us, let us. In fact, the, 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 scripture, the scripture gives this away. Now, I hope you get this grammatically. Let us. Uh, first person, what? Plural. Let us. Okay? Let us draw near. And there's two pieces here that I want to I talk about for just a moment with a true heart. This isn't true as opposed to false. This is true in regard to um, genuine. Let us draw near. By the way, can I also insert this? When, when the writer's talking about drawing near... Uh, we have a context of the Old Covenant and what it was to draw near to God in the Old Covenant, right? In the tabernacle. The, the, the presence of God being where? Remember where the presence of God was? Behind that veil? Okay. For the longest time, they couldn't get behind that veil. Only one man for one, one time a year could get behind that veil. And yet, those priests who walk in and out and carry out their duties, they would see that veil and it would remind them and it would remind them and it would remind them of the very presence of God which they were so close to but yet couldn't enter in. And now we have, let us draw near with a true heart, with a genuine heart. When it talks about letting us draw near, it's not advocating or saying that for us today, we are to draw near in terms of a location. The Bible elsewhere in Romans chapter 10, I love the, the passage that talks about how the word is not far from you. Right? It's not far from you, it's, 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 it's within you. The word. So let us draw near. Let's, let's understand that he's not advocating that in Christ, under the new covenant, we are marching into a place behind a curtain. It just happens to be a different kind of curtain. Okay? So let us draw near. In what way? With a true heart, with a genuine heart, in full assurance of faith. Tell me, church, what was one of the big problems to those he's writing first century? You remember? Were they not a wavering people? Were they not in the midst of uh, desiring to turn back to Judaism? Probably more or less because it was comfortable to them. It was what they knew. We're, we're, we do some of that same thing ourselves, truth be told, on occasion. We go back to doing something that we're most comfortable with. Well, that was part of the, the, the challenge for these, these first century folks. They were, they, were, they were desiring to maybe turn back. They were on that hinge point, but they were also weighing... What happens if I move forward into saying yes to Jesus Christ, this one that they call the Messiah? What, what then? Because you see, the context here is that from outside, they were right on the front end of receiving persecution from the Roman authorities. We don't know with great clarity exactly when this letter was written. We have some time parameters. Uh, seems to be after Christ. Seems to be before uh, AD 70. All right, so we have some handles on, in terms of parameters. So let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. And here in just a moment in chapter 11, he's going to be talking about this faith in great detail using these patriarchs from the past pointing to them in regard to faith. It seemed like this, this group of folks had really some, some challenges and some issues with Faith. Yeah, earlier we talked about they, they were a group of people who, who heard but they didn't mix faith. Remember that? With what they heard. They, they were disobedient. And so here he's calling them, he's calling us under the new covenant. What does it look like living under the new covenant? It looks like drawing near to God with a genuine heart. Heart, tell me friends, heart is exterior or interior? Interior. What do we know about the Old Covenant way of operating? Exterior. As long as I wash up, as long as I, I, I sprinkle a little blood here and there, it was all about exterior cleansing. The Old Covenant could never truly cleanse from the inside. Let us draw near with a genuine heart. 
in full assurance of faith. Full assurance. The Bible elsewhere in Romans 4 verse 21 talks about faith. It's my favorite definition in the scripture of faith. It's being fully convinced that what God promised, he's also able to perform. Are you fully convinced this morning that what God has promised, what he's given to us, he's also able to perform? You see, the very thing that was holding back the, the, the listener to whom he's writing, they lacked faith. And he's saying, first and foremost, let us draw near, let us come into his presence with a genuine heart in full assurance of faith. A full measure of faith. Not this wishy-washy stuff. Not this one foot strat on one foot. No. A full assurance of faith. And as we think about this in our own regard, under the new covenant, living together as a body, you know, I, I look at verse 22, and it goes on, and it says, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. There, there are some different thoughts on, on what that is pointing to. I tend to believe in many ways it's, it's pointing to that, uh, it's a, a typological understanding of the way things were in the Old Covenant, that they would, in fact, you see on three different occasions in, in Exodus and Leviticus, you see that they were sprinkling blood on different parts of, you know, the basin, the utensils. Uh, blood was a big part of what they sprinkled. And, and water was right there at the entry point of the tabernacle, and they were washing themselves all the time. So there's reference to having pure water and the blood sprinkling. But I think as we also look at verse 22, and it's, it's a call to draw near, we're drawing near, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. We've talked about conscience already, haven't we, in Hebrews? An evil conscience. See, the conscience, the cleanse, this, this really goes hand in hand with verse 22. I think what 22 is, is telling us is this is, as we look at letting us draw near in true assurance, of faith, not lacking faith. I think what, one of the things the writer is wanting us to see is this is all about this Cleansed worshiper, a worshiper, someone who is drawing near to God with a genuine heart and full assurance of faith, having been cleansed, having been cleansed. Earlier we talked about how in the Old Covenant, the sins of the, remember the, the bulls and the goats could never cleanse the conscience of the worshiper? And so really what he's talking about here is drawing near, and he, and he says, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience... And our bodies washed with pure water. Some, some reference the, the bodies washed with pure water. Some, some look at that and it probably makes sense to a lot of folks talking about referencing baptism. I don't particularly see that as referencing baptism. But whether it is or whether it isn't, isn't a, isn't a deal breaker. It's not the main point of that particular verse. But it is an outer cleansing. And you know, we, thought, we talk about baptism and it's an outer, it's, it's an outer getting wet. But it's also a declaration of what God's done in me. And uh, praise God, we look forward to uh, one of those next week, um, celebrating as a church. So let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. I want you to see in each one of these three exhortations, there are different parts of the body. And I think I, I just like to submit this as terms, in terms of application for us. And the first one is, is being our heart. We sang some songs this morning that spoke to uh, faith, spoke to hope, spoke to love. If you look at these exhortations, there's faith and there's hope and there's love. And, and along with each one of these, there's a part of our, our body. And here we see the heart. Drawing near with a genuine heart. Friends, I'd ask this question this morning as we think about what it is to live under the new covenant. Is our heart all in with the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we all there? Wholeheartedness, right? With our whole heart. Love the Lord your God with how much of your heart? All of it. New covenant living, being a new creation in Christ, calls for this kind of living. 
where we are wholeheartedly devoting ourselves, it says in Acts 2, right? Devoting ourselves to our Lord and Master. So we draw near. We draw near to the Lord. Genuine heart, full assurance of faith. What's the second one? Look at verse 23. How else should we live under this new covenant? What does new covenant living consist of? And how do we as new creations in Christ live now having the Spirit of God in us? The second one says, let us hold fast. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. The, the idea of uh, holding fast uh, is, is an interesting word here. Uh, he's, he's talking about, uh, it speaks of, of, of a firm hold which masters that which is held. And so we think about the idea here of holding fast the confession. The confession. Confession is saying the same thing as someone else. Or, or my statement of faith aligning with what someone else has said. Well, in this, we're holding fast the confession of our hope. What we're saying, essentially, what we're doing is we're holding fast, not letting go. Do you get the picture? Holding on to something, not letting it go. What, are, what is it we're holding on to, not letting go? Our confession, a confession which is rooted and grounded in hope, a hope yet to come, a hope. Remember the hope we talked about at the end of 6, the anchor, the hope. One who is our forerunner and goes behind the veil. That's the hope we have if we're in Christ. He's saying, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. The very thing that God in his word has said about what he's going to do. The very thing in his word God has said about his son Jesus. Let's hold fast to this confession. Because oftentimes, if, if we're honest, when we don't hold fast to the truth of the word... What's our recourse? We tend to do our own thing, don't we? We tend to find another path. We tend to want to be a pioneer of our own. Again, it's sort of the, sort of the, the mode of our world today. Be all you can be, kind of. Uh, be about you. It's, it fits right into that mold. As we look at let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Again, this would have been very significant for the people to whom he's writing. That next phrase is an adverbial phrase, without wavering. Let's hold fast the confession without wavering. I was reminded of uh, the story of, uh, of Elijah. You know, remember when he's, he's got all the, the, the Baals, uh, Astras, and they're gathered together at Mount Carmel and and there was this, this whole, uh, they, they spent a good number of hours during the day sacrificing to their God, who never showed up. And Elijah gets there and he, he shows up, has him put back the altar. And, and essentially one of the things that he says as he pray, he's praying, but as they gather together, he puts those words forward. He, he really challenges them to not waver. Stop wavering. If God is God, follow him. If he's not, follow him. And I think sometimes in our life, as we think about what it is to live as a new creation in Christ, holding fast the confession of our hope, sometimes that confession can just be for us words on a page or words that we've known and words that we've recited time and time and time again. But I would ask this morning, are they words that we've held on to in such a way that we don't waver in how we live? We don't waver. We don't participate in things and then come back and say, well, you know, I still hold to this confession. And you might know some folks who actually participate in some things. They say they're Christians. They profess to be Christians. And yet participating in things that perhaps wouldn't align with the confession of hope. So I think it's important as it's, it's, it's imperative here to let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. 
And there's a, there's a motivation for doing this. That's the end of the verse. For he who promised is what? Faithful. We, listen, we can hold on to the confession of our hope because we have a God of hope. We have a God who said he is going to make these things right. He's a God who's told us in his word, hold on. You might be in the middle of a storm. You might be in the midst of some stuff going on in your life or in your family's life. And it doesn't look really good currently. I pray these words would be helpful for you this morning. Hold fast. Hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Don't give up. This Hebrews, we've been seeing it time and time again. Keep going, endure, persevere all the way to the end. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. You know that passage uh, that speaks of even when we're faithless, right? Isn't it? Think about that for just, just a moment. We serve a God. Who even when we're faithless is faithful. Everything in his word is true. All the descriptions of who God is. All the various names of who he is. They're true. They all represent some aspect of his nature, his character. He who promised is faithful. Tell me, does that matter at all? In how you live this Life as a Christian, as a Christ follower. When life gets hard and life gets difficult, do you hold on to the confession of your hope without wavering, understanding that the one you serve is faithful? We sing the hymn a lot, Great is thy faithfulness, don't we? Do we believe he's faithful? Do we live our lives under the new covenant as a new creation in such a way that would say, yes, I believe he's a faithful God. Does my life match that of who he is? He's faithful. We are either, you know, it's been said that, that we are influencing people, whether for the good or whether for the bad, aren't we? One way or the other. But it's also true that as a professing Christian, Christ follower... Our lives are being lived out in such a way that we are actually pointing and reflecting the faithfulness of God. Or, as others look at our lives, they're beginning to see some other things about God. That truth be told, we wouldn't desire for them to want to know about God because it's not true. The way our lives are lived, they're not matching who this God is in the scripture. He's faithful. And because he's faithful, he's true. That ought to matter in terms of our living. Let's look at the last one. Let us consider one another. By the way, that verse 23, holding fast the confession of our hope. We talked about 22, how the faith really has in mind the interior of the heart. The hope, holding fast, thinking about the mind, thinking about the scriptures, saying about renewing the mind, having a genuine heart, having a renewed mind. These are ways that we are to live in the body of Christ. The scriptures call us to that. Well, here in verse 24 and 25, we see love, love, let us consider one another. The idea of considering one another has in mind uh, being attentive with special care given to one another. You know, if you're attentive to certain things, uh, and here uh, perhaps in your respective jobs, perspective work, whether at home or whether away from the home. Some of you are attentive to certain details. And you make sure that those details get done. In fact, a day wouldn't go by. You, you make sure certain details get done. Well, here in the scripture, this is the, the third of the exhortations. Let us draw near, let us hold fast. 
let us consider, who are we considering? Who, who, one another. One another. Look around the room for just a moment. You have permission. This is part of the one another. Okay? We are to give attentive detail to one another. How do we do that? How do you do that? See, we're called to it. What's it look like? How does it happen? How does it manifest itself? Let us consider one another in order to stir up. This word's an interesting word. To stir up. It's actually in the Bible, it's used in a negative sense on a few different occasions. And, and, and that word in the negative sense would be uh, more like an irritant. But here it's used in the positive sense. We're called to stir up or to stimulate. Okay? We're called to consider one another, give careful attention detail to one another in order to stir up or stimulate. What are we, what are we stirring up and stimulating? Love. Love and good works. That's what we're stirring up, stimulating. Paying careful detail and attention to amongst each other and the parts and the body. You know, and I was thinking here as we, as we saw earlier in 22 and 23 about the heart and the mind. Here I see as we talk about love, how does this apply? What, what, what are we talking about when we think about loving one another? Uh, mouth, loving with our words, right? What we say to one another. Loving with our hands, how we serve one another. Loving with our feet, right? Where we go, what we're going to do together. All of these things tie in here. This passage is speaking to a heart, a mind, hands, our words, our feet. It's, it's connecting the parts of our literal body together and showing that all of these things really do matter under the new covenant. This is what it's to look like. We're to consider, we're to pay careful attention in detail to one another to stimulate this love and good works. But the verse isn't done. Look at 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Not forsaking. The word there has in mind to let down or to abandon. Not forsaking, not abandoning the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. Now, isn't that interesting? Remember, he's writing to this first century audience. Let me ask you a question. We've read these verses probably, we're more familiar with these verses than some other verses in the book of Hebrews. Would, would you agree with that? We've heard these verses a lot. I would venture to say you probably haven't heard or read those verses really in the context of the whole of the letter until now. Because the whole of the letter is about a group of people who have been wavering whether to go forward in Christ or whether they're going to return back to their ways of Judaism. And the call here, let us, let us Consider one another, not forsaking the assembling. It seems like there were some who were forsaking the assembling together. But for what reason? In context. Fearful of persecution, perhaps? He's calling them to not forsake. Don't abandon, even when it gets hard. Don't abandon giving up meeting together. And evidently, as he's giving this exhortation, it seems as though, and this is true a lot of times as we study the scripture, he's writing because it's already happening. He says, as is the manner of some. This has been going on. Let me ask you a question. How is it that we stir up, stimulate love and good works and pay careful attention to considering one another. How does that all happen if people don't show up to the assembly? 
Yes, meetings can happen elsewhere outside of that window of time on a Sunday. No doubt about it. But the assembling, there are certain things in the assembly that there is no substitute for. Do you agree with that? There are certain things, being here in the Lord's house on a Sunday with the Lord's people, that it's, you can't have a substitute for it. Yeah, you can listen to the message. Praise God, we have opportunity and access to be able to listen to the word if we don't make it here on a Sunday. But it's not the same. We're called to consider one another and stir one another up, stimulate one another to love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but... So not forsaking, but what? But exhorting one another. Exhorting. Encouraging. Edifying. One another. And so much the more, as you see the day... Approaching. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. I hope we understand. In some of your translations, it actually has the day capitalized, right? D. Talking about the day to come. Judgment. There seems to be a motive here, too. Just like we saw the motive in the previous verses. For he who promises faithful. That's why we ought to hold on to the hope. Well, here he's saying, as as we look at the end of that, he's he's saying, not forsaking, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. There seems to be connected to this church a view to, to the last days, a view to what's yet to come. That our considering one another and stirring up one another to love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. In light of the day to come, we ought to be about these things. That ought to stir us on to be together and not find ways not to be together. So, you know, I, I, was, I was interested, uh, Hughes in his commentary, he says, he says it's true that a person does not have to go to a church building to be a Christian. He says he does not have to go home to be married either. But in both cases, if he does not, he will have a very poor relationship. Amen? I mean, that's true. You know, people want to argue from the, from the, uh, the furthest extreme. To argue that I don't have to be in the church building on a Sunday. We're missing the whole, whole point. The Lord's called us together to be connected together, to meet together, to assemble together. The, the assembling of ourselves is a, is a word that has in mind the synagogue. Uh, it's, it's coming together, the meeting place, not forsaking the meeting place together, as is the manner of some. Hey, listen, back in first century, this isn't just true back in the first century. We, we've become, I think, accustomed to being in the Lord's house, assembling together with brothers and sisters, as long as we don't have anything else on the calendar. This ties in a lot. As we think about new covenant, we think about new creation living. We talk, we've already talked about this commitment, this, this being loyal to the one we serve, aligning ourselves under the king. Understanding he's a faithful God. Understanding what Christ has done for us at the cross. Friends, he's done all of these things. And yet we're going to casually treat our coming together. And I'm not just, I'm not just putting that forward to hope in Christ. I think you all are aware enough and you see things around you too in the church at large. It can be a pretty sad picture. In light of what God is desiring for his church. You know, he just went on as he's talking about this very idea, this subject matter of being present, some not being present in the assembling. He said many people find other reasons to absent themselves from worship 
not the, not the least of which is laziness. Sometimes, sometimes maybe we can't even just point our finger on why we're not here. We just don't, don't want to be here. And some of this may be hard. And some of this is hard. Because especially if it applies, it's, it can be hard to hear. But it's the word. It's the, the words calling us, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, stimulate one another, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. Don't abandon the assembly, even when the situation gets tough. We do our best to come together. And we do, do our best to come together in light of this day approaching. Listen, I think one of the bottom line messages here is this, as it pertains to this third one, is we need each other. God's placed us in the body. We need each other. We're not solo. We're not flying this thing solo. He never intended it to be solo. We're connected parts as we're connected to the head. That's the picture we get in the scriptures. So I'd like to just conclude here by putting forward a few that word stirring up. What are some what are some ways that we can be uh, as one writer said positive irritants to to one another? How's that? How, how do we stimulate one another to love and good works? How do we do that? How do we go about doing that? Let me give you four. Prayer, engaging in prayer, and I'm not even just talking about the window of time we have on a Sunday morning. I'm talking about diligently praying for for people here in the body, in the assembly. And in order for us to know how to pray, we got to be connected. We got to be here, um, or we got to somehow communicate with parts of the body in order for us to be effective in prayer, to know what to pray. I think another way that we can stir up one another is just through example. Through example. Hey, listen, some of you in here are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. You serve, not just here in the building, but you serve him. That's your life. That's what you do. I, I want to encourage you to keep doing it. Keep going. Because some of you in here maybe think that, you know, it's, it's kind of, you, you may be getting, you haven't verbalized it as of yet, but it's starting to get close to uh, woe is me, you know, Eeyore mentality. I'm doing all this, and I don't see many other people doing things. And Is it all worth it? Right, Psalm 73, the psalmist is asking some of those questions. I want to encourage you this morning, as we consider one another and stirring one another up to love and good works, your example of faithfulness, your example of serving the Lord Jesus Christ will make a difference. And you might not see it right now, you might not see it right now. I'll just say this. Hold on. Hold fast to the confession of your hope. This world's not our home, is it? So example, right? Prayer, example. How else do we stir one another up? God's word. Listen. If we are new creations in Christ... Living now under the new covenant. We think about how we're to live. What ought to drive our living? We ought to be living according to this word. Should we not? So how do we stir one another up? How do we, how do we become this positive irritant in regard to the word? We remain faithful to holding fast, renewing our mind through the word. Renewing our mind. This is for all of us. Renewing our mind through the word. I was reading something a couple weeks ago that was helpful for me. I'll share it with you for what it's worth. And the author was talking about how important and how significant it is when we enter into conversation and someone is coming to you and has you know, real serious questions about what's going on in their lives and they're looking for answers. And the author was talking about how important it is that we do our best being in Christ to answer all of questions, all the questions with what we know to be true from the Word. I think about... Think about how wonderful that is to be able to, when you can answer someone's question from the Word. You are, 
You are stirring them up. Because I had this conversation not too long ago. I had, I had a, a, a guy who's, who's a professed Christian and he's asked me. He asked me the very question, so how do you define faith? Faith is being fully convinced of that what God's promised, he's able to perform. And he sat there and he looked at me like I was from the moon. Here's what I think happened. I don't think he anticipated me giving him an, an answer on the spot. All I gave him was what I know to be true from the word. Answering these questions, putting the word of God forward, stirring others up, being the example. This, this is connected to being an example. We can be an example with the word. You know, we've talked about even during our prayer times, as we stand to pray, that we don't just pray of our own, but we have the word open. We pray the word. Stir one another up with this word. Listen, one other thing, just as I'm thinking about the word and stirring one another up with the word. There are some folks in here who need to be stirred up about this word. In a gathering this size, fairly convinced that there are some here that this word has only been opened this morning through the past week. We need to be stirring one another in this word. Constantly putting and pointing people back to the word. What's the word say? In our conversations with men, men and men, women, ladies, when we have t- lunch, are we stirring one another? Are we pointing one another to the word? Or is it a conversation just rooted and grounded in what I think? My own opinion. No, I think if we're going to consider one another and pay careful attention to one another and, and mutually encourage one another, one of the ways we do that and stir them up is through the word. In fact, I, I would go so far as to say, I don't, I don't know that you can stir anybody up in terms of being a Christ follower. How do you stir someone up apart from the word of God? I don't know how else to do that. I think any other way is superficial. Here's the last one I want to give you, then we're done. So we have, we, talk, we talked about the uh, prayer, we talked about example, we talked about God's word being a, uh, a stirring up uh, in the body. How do we do that? Um, th- this last one is just it's real simple. This, this is probably the, the most simple way we can stir one another up. And I'm, before I even put it out there, I'm just going to say this. This will be our assignment for this week. Okay? Here's our assignment. We're going to have a takeaway uh, response this week from the word. Takeaway is this. The fourth one is encouragement, okay? Encouragement. How can we stir one another up? Encourage one another, right? You know the song, encourage one another, build each other up. So here's the assignment this week. As a means of practicing this word, as a means of being a doer of the word and not a hearer only, we're going to practice being uh, loving irritants to one another. And we're going to, and I'm going to let you define how it, get, how it happens, We're going to encourage one another this week. That could be a phone call. That could be an email. Could be a text. But just not to me because I don't text. Could be a a handwritten note. I'm just giving you some examples. You can take it from there. We got some real brilliant, smart people here in this room. So, encouragement. Okay? That's the assignment for this next week. So, three exhortations. Let us draw near with a true heart, a genuine heart, in full assurance of faith. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another, pay careful, detailed attention to one another, mutually encourage one another in order to stir up or stimulate love and good works, not forsaking or abandoning the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. This was happening, and it's, it's happening today too, in the year 2016. Still happening. But exhorting one another, 
edifying one another, and so much the more as we see that day coming. And friends, it's coming. We don't know when. The Father's appointed that time in and of himself. But we press on, and we look forward to the day when we get to be with our Lord Jesus. So we've got foundational principles followed up by three uh, exhortations to this is how we live. New covenant. These are three ways we live under the new covenant. So I, I want to put that forward for the church to be able to... I, I, I know there's some things... That, you know, Maybe look at those three exhortations and maybe pull one of them out. I, obviously, we have a homework assignment for that last one and how to stir one another up. But think about those three exhortations. Ask of the Lord. Maybe that's something this week in your own prayer time. You're asking of the Lord. Lord, show me which one of these three or if there's all three... Uh, that I need to really be paying attention to in my own life as not just an individual, but as a connected part of the body of Christ and, and praying that the Lord would reveal to all of us our role, our part, our place in the body of Christ as he's placed us here. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and thank you for your word of truth. I thank you, Lord, for these three exhortations that call us to draw near on the interior, to draw near with a genuine heart, and to do that with full assurance of faith. Father, I thank you that you've called us to consider and and hold fast the confession of our hope and to do so without wavering. Father, I thank you that you've called us to consider one another in this body to pay careful attention and detail to how we minister to one another. This is the life of your church. And Father, I pray that we would desire to come together on a Sunday. As the psalmist says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And I pray that would be our heart, our mindset. As we come together, there would be a desire not just to see one another, but most importantly, a desire to come together collectively to worship you. We thank you, Lord, that you have cleansed us. We, we were now cleansed worshipers in this new covenant. And I pray as we renew our minds, we become convinced worshipers of who you are. And as we love and extend that love to one another in the body, we become compelled to do so because of the great love of Christ toward us. So, Father, thank you for your word. And I pray, Father, as we... Uh, practice uh, these truths from your word this week. Lord, that you would stir us up as to how we might encourage one another this week. Look forward to uh, being able to share maybe next week in prayer time what that looked like and how that all happened and how that came about, Lord. We pray that you would do a good work through your spirit uh, in this coming week. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.